I'm, I'm grateful, um, always grateful for Christ in my life. Um, there's a real high possibility that I wouldn't even be alive anymore if it wasn't for Christ coming into my life. And I am grateful for that. And I'm grateful for um, his people because it was because of his people that I came to know him. A persistent lot who constantly barraged me with what I thought was annoying confrontations, but actually was their love for people. From my perspective, it was like, could you people just leave me alone? You're annoying. I don't want to hear about Jesus, and I don't want to hear... I don't want to hear about my sin. I'm fully aware that I was a sinner. I, I, I was proud of it. I don't say that in jest. I just say that in truth. Um, so it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm a bad guy. Good job. The people who were really annoying were the ones that didn't do that and spoke love to me and told me all sorts of stuff about you just don't know who you are, Stan. You don't know what's there. You don't know what God has placed inside of you. You don't, but get away. And I would think you don't know. Don't stay around too long or you could find out. Um, so let's go to that first second, first slide. Yeah, thank you, Corky. Um, so I, I wanna lay a little groundwork with some words and put a little, put a little dirt in the ground to plant some seeds in. So agape love, that's the love God talks about in the Bible. It signifies how he loves us and how we should love one another. Unconditional, self-sacrificing, non-judgmental, non-discriminating, doing what is best for one another in love. Always looking out for what's best for the other person. Now, sometimes that can be negative. If someone is going to walk into the street, get ran over by a truck, and you tackle them and knock them to the ground. That's a negative thing. You shouldn't tackle people and knock them to the ground unless they're going to get killed by a truck. So, but that would be love. That type of thing would be love. And there are tons of other examples that I won't go into because I'm talking about David and the Ark of the Covenant, but I want to lay a few little groundwork first. The other thing is type and shadow. Type and shadow is used a lot in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is primarily there to lead us to Jesus Christ. There are other things it does, explains our condition and why we are like we are, but the other things, the main thing it does, it leads us to Jesus Christ and our need for him. And so type and, type and shadow is a type or shadow pa or pattern or figure that is prophetic foretelling of future events, a pre-echo meaning if it's in there, it's speaking of something in the future. Now, <clears throat> my little, a huge amount of my beliefs are based both upon the Word of God and my experience. Um, but a lot of what I believed that was in the Word of God in 40 years has changed because I was taught this meant that. And this is that. And now I don't believe some of those things anymore. Not that I don't believe in the Word of God. I just don't believe in the way people were translating it. The people were interpreting it. And so that is one of the difficulties for Christians today is what does this really mean? How do I apply this to my life? And is there a universal application to every truth? 
I'm not going to talk about that today. I just love throwing out stuff that makes people think. <laughs> so the next photograph or picture, this is how I picture Jesus. Not, not how I used to, but how I do now. Loving, compassionate. Even, even, you know, when God told Adam and Eve in the garden, don't do A lot of people think that was punishment. It wasn't. Because he says, you can't live here anymore because you will eat from the tree of life and live in your fallen state forever. So he banned the possibility of redemption and eternally doomed. Yuck. So what looks like a negative thing was actually a positive thing. And that's another thing to think about whenever you're trying to interpret why the Bible says what it does. Next slide. Matthew 22. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with these questions. Now, before this set of scriptures, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like this, and this is what's happening. And he's kind of laying the groundwork for them. And much of what he's saying is really flying in the face of the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. They're not liking any of it. And the Sadducees come and test him about it. He says, you guys just don't understand what the word of God really means. This is what it really means. The Pharisees were quite happy with that because they didn't like the Sadducees. And so they came up with their own special question because they had rules and laws, many of which weren't in the Old Testament law, that they thought set them aside and made them better people. And so they come up wanting to justify themselves and says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, every bit of your being. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything in the Old Testament should be interpreted through this scripture. And if it doesn't interpret that way and it looks different, you should question your interpretation. Because Jesus himself said, the whole point of the law and the prophets is to lead you to this conclusion. You got to love God and you got to love your neighbor and you got to love yourself. Um, I spent a lot of time not necessarily believing that. Certainly not practicing it. Next slide. So Jesus is presented to us in two ways in the Bible. King, riding on the white horse. Now, when he... Prince of Peace. Now, he is still the conquering king. Let's go to Revelations 1, 5, and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins with his own blood, and he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So not only was he king and priest, he made us kings and priests. We hear that a lot nowadays, that we're kings and priests. I believe we are. But what does that mean? What does Jesus show us? Well, 
he came to the people as the Prince of Peace. He did not come as the conquering warrior. So I think there's a huge portion of the church that ought to lighten up a bit. So next slide. Oh, I love this one. Man, I, I used to carry a stick. I used to have this big, long hick. of violence against the wiles of the enemy. But man, I had a hard time leaving that when it came to people who disagreed with me, who didn't practice what I practiced and didn't believe what I believed. And, and, and those who, who really, not just doctrinal beliefs, but practice things like pedophilia. I wanted to use my stick on them, really bad. Though you may agree with me that they deserve to have a stick used on them, that's not Christ's heart. It's not my heart anymore either. I disagree totally with what they're doing, but it's not the way that I've got to see them. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the, his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of the evil realms. This is the place where the dress, a lot of the church needs to lighten up. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against other humans. And I thank God for that because, man, I deserve to die before I deserve to be locked, at least locked in a cage for a long period of time. But that's not what the church is about. The church isn't about that. The church is about loving people. And though I agree that he has given us the full armor of God for a purpose, it is against spiritual wickedness and spiritual forces in high places. You want to learn about that? Take Sharon's class. She does a really good job teaching about how to deal with darkness. And you don't use it on human beings. Against authorities and powers of darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Next slide. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth, Buckle to your waist and the breastplate of righteousness. See the shift? We went, from, we went from offensive weapons. Now we're going to, and the idea of offensively attacking spiritual wickedness to a defensive set of weapons that defends you as you take, as, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The whole armor is designed for one thing, to get you into a position to present the gospel to human beings. The enemy doesn't want you doing it. 
So the whole point of the armor of God is to get you in a position where you can present the gospel to the world, both the saved and the lost. The gospel just means truth. So saved people can need to hear the gospel too, not just unsaved people. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith of which you can extinguish all the flaming areas of the evil one, because when you do that, he is going to get mad and attack you. That's why you need the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert always to keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Praying also for me, that whatever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel, of which I am an ambassador, a representative of Christ to the people in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. <clears throat> Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority has been given me on heaven and earth. I've been given every bit of it. Therefore, go in to make disciples of all nations. Therefore, because I have all authority on heaven and earth, you have one job. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's the dirt. I wanted to, now I'm going to plant some seeds that are type and shadow out of David's travel with the ark. So the next picture, this is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. This is actually, a, I think, a picture taken right from Indiana Jones and the this is, or they modeled their arc off this because I just watched it last night and it looks just like this. Now, if you really want to find out about the arc and how it works, watch Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and reverse everything they say to the opposite because it is completely wrong, except for the fact that the Jew, God had the Jews build the ark. They got that part right. But everything else in it is wrong. None of it is true. It, the whole depiction is pure garbage. People just need to know that because otherwise you think, oh, wow, the Ark of the Covenant is a weapon by God to slaughter people. The Ark of the Covenant is a box that held three things. In remembrance, Aaron rod that budded, pot of manna, and the Ten Commandments. And they were put in there for remembrance. The purpose of the box is to hold the top, the mercy seat, or the place in which the presence of God dwelt. And the purpose of the ark was so Moses would go in there and talk to God face to face. That's it. That's the whole purpose of the ark, is to bear the presence of God. It is not a weapon. The reason they carried it into battle was because they needed the presence of God, and they would get to a place and say, okay, now what am I supposed to do? And they were supposed to go to the ark. In fact, when Saul became king, they didn't even have the ark. Well, they had it, but he wasn't consulting it. He actually even went to witches and stuff and asked for advice, rather than go to the presence of God. I've got all sorts of speculations why Saul felt that way and didn't do that. But then all of a sudden, he's losing, and he decides, you know what we need to do? We need to get the ark. So he goes and gets the ark, 
They bring it out, go to battle, lose the battle, and the Ark is captured by the Philistines. So much for an undefeatable weapon. It didn't work. That's because that's not what it was designed for. He was using it wrong. Which, see, now get it, the presence of God. Jesus is, is the presence of God. He's made the whole thing that we can be in his presence at all time. Give us unatold access. So whenever you get into a battle, don't use Jesus as a weapon. That's what this is saying. The ark is not a weapon. Jesus is not a weapon. He is a conquering king over death and hell and sin, principalities and darkness, but not over people. He is the loving, kind savior, eternal sacrifice for people. Hebrews 9.3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense, the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. But when Christ came as high priest of good things that are now already here, he went through the greater or more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of the creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Man, why we don't leave it that simple, I don't know. It's simple. Jesus died for your sins. When you accept that, you're eternally saved. Does that mean you're perfect and you don't do anything wrong? I haven't met anybody like that yet. And I constantly do battle with a guy in the morning who doesn't fit that description. Trying to get a good start in the morning, look at the guy in the mirror and think, eh, you got a ways to go, pal. All right, next picture. The Ark of the Covenant being pulled by two, this shows bullocks, but they're actually cows when the, the Philistines are going to return the Ark. That's where we're going right now. So we're actually going to get into this process with David now that I've laid all the groundwork and seed of how I want you to int interpret with me the way what this is trying to say to us. So this picture is depicting how the Philistines responded to the presence of God, the ark, the mercy seat. First Samuel 6, 6. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaohs did? This is some soothsayer for Philistines talking to his people. When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israel out so they could go on their way? Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. So these are cows that have never been taught how to pull that have calves. Now, if you're familiar with that sort of thing, cows do not like being separated from their calves. They, in fact, will get violent with you if you do, and they'll do almost anything to get back to them, which there's a reason for this. 
but take their calves away and pen them up. So separate the two. Take the ark of the Lord and put it in, it in the cart in a chest. Beside it, put a gold object you are sending back to him as a guilt offering sent and send it on its way. But keep watching it. Now, they, they made five tumors because they were dying from tumors and five gold rats. And that was the offering that they were giving to the Israeli God. Tumors and rats. Tumors and rats. I mean, keep watching it. If it goes up to its own, teria, own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. So if it goes this way, then, yeah, it's the God who's smacking us around. But if it does not, then we will know that it is not his hand that struck us, but that it happened to us by chance. One of my personal views, I could be wrong, a lot of views I have that I could be wrong with, is that yeah, chance is very rare. It is a process of reaping and sowing. It is a process of God working in your life. But most of us live in the process of reaping and sowing. I have become as large as I am because I have reaped lots of spoonfuls of various forms of nutrition and stuff's not nutrition. And I now look like I look. That wasn't chance. I ate too much and I got big. No chance involved. Take responsibility, Stan. You are like you are because you do what you do. And in fact, 99% of our lives are that way, and there isn't chance. Unless God supersedes, which he does. The chance of me running into a Christian before I was saved was very, very high. Because God was moving people, get in front of this guy and make his life miserable. Or actually, that was God's perspective. That was mine. So they put it in a wooden cart, send it on its way, and it does go the right direction. So they think, hey, hey, we've done a great job. That's the world's perspective of the way God works. So in 2 Samuel, now we're going on, David's in power. He goes, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000, and he all his men went to Balal in Judah to bring up to bring up from the there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart. Huh. We saw someone else do this and it didn't. Hmm. And brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzziah on uh, no, Ahio, sons of Abinadad, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. Now, I, I forgot to say this early on. David, when I was talking about type and shadow, David started became king at 30. Jesus started his ministry at 30. David, let me go back here. I want to make sure I get all of these because these, I think these are important. Both were born in Bethlehem. Both were chosen by God to be king. Both were shepherds. Both were betrayed in their ministry. And then both of them crossed the book of Kidron after being betrayed. 
And both of them opened up a way to the presence of God. So we see David as a type and shadow of Jesus. That doesn't mean everything he did was that. It just means that a lot of what he did can tell us about who Christ was going to be. And that's where we're at now. And the whole point of this message. You may be scratching your head, but that's all right. You ought to be in my head, man. Oh, anyway, David and all Israel. I'm, I'm continuing the part where David is going to bring the ark up. And Ohio and Uzziah are there. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, and timbrels, and sistrums and cymbals. When they came to the wrestling floor of Nakan, Uzziah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzziah because of his irreverent act. Before, Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Ouch. Now, one of the things I've had to learn in being a Christian is the words, I don't know, and I don't understand, because there's a huge amount of God's word that I don't understand, and I don't know why it happened like it did. Um, I have speculation on all of it because I speculate about almost everything, but that doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I have a speculation. So Uzziah dies. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So they, it goes off to Obedidim's house. Obedidim's house prospers like crazy. Instead of having rats and tumors, he has prosperity. His whole house prospers. And uh, David's like, after three months, is like, I want a little of that. Let's go down and get it again. Only this time, he inquired of God. The first time, he's, let's get a three thirty thousand men together, and we'll, we'll go get the ark, put it on a cart, and bring it up here. And it didn't turn out well. Kind of reminds me of, of uh, Gideon getting 32,000 men together to fight against the Midianites, and God saying, there's entirely too many people here. You're all, I know you're outnumbered 10 to 1 already, but there's too many people here. So if anybody's afraid, just ask them, are you afraid? Tell them to go home. So 22,000 went home. Now he's got 10,000. God said, there's still too many people here. So have them go drink in the brook. And those that drink like dogs, lap water like dogs, send them home. Those that put the water in their hand and draw it to their mouth, keep them. 300. God said, the reason I did this is because I know you people. And if I let you win with three, even though you're outnumbered 10 to 1, and you win with 32,000, you're going to say, look what we did. Aren't we wonderful? But with only 300, you only got one choice. Holy cow, God is good all the time. Because he saved them against, I don't know, 30,000, 300,000 people with only 300. Only God could get the credit. So what's David do? Let's get 30,000 warriors together and bring the ark up. Oops. Next picture, please, Corky. So this is the Ark of the Covenant, the way it's supposed to be hauled around, on the shoulders of men. That's a metaphor. <clears throat> the presence of God doesn't reside in the world in the way the world says things. The presence of God rests on your shoulders. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The presence of God is brought to the world, brought to people on your shoulders. Because you are now priests. 
one of the other problems was is only priests could carry the ark. Only priests. Anybody else did it? They ended up like Uzziah. This is a type and shadow of what Jesus was going to establish with us. The world and its ways do not present the gospel. We do. It, and it isn't church buildings. It isn't programs. All of those facilitate, facilitate us doing our job. But the job of presenting the gospel to the world is ours. And ours alone. I hear people pray all the time, we need God to come down. He already did. And he's in you. He's already here. Quit asking that. I, I, I got to say, this is one of the things I speculate. God is up there. Oh, there it is again, son. They're asking us to come down. I'm already in every one of them. What more do they want? The Holy Spirit is in them, who is also God. What are they? Well, these people are confused. No, these people don't want to take responsibility. That's my speculation. My pet peeve, we don't want to be responsible. Man, if we could get God come down and, whoo, magically we have a revival going. Hey, hallelujah. If you, if you want to learn about revivals, get a hold of stuff by George Otis Jr. He studied revivals for the last three or 400 years, and every one of them were entered into the, the world on the shoulders of men and women. Not by magic. Not by spontaneous combustion. Not by the Holy Spirit just descending and doing it. Because God decided not to do it that way. He wants to do it through us. That's what this is saying. You try to bring the ark into the world, not on your own shoulders. You're going to do it wrong, and it's going to end up wrong. And we've got stuff all over the world that proves that out. Cults, everything, just by the handfuls of trying to do it and make it done the way the world wants it done. There's only one way to do it love, and the presence of God in you, and all of the things that fit in between that. And we, we'd so desperately want Jesus to come, and we have so little confidence in ourselves. I mean, I, I get up with this guy every morning and think, really? You think these people are going to buy this? I mean, there's sometimes they could probably see me and say, hey, what a wonderful guy! Yeah. And then other times, what a jerk. And I don't want anything he's selling. So we are the ones who bear the ark. So then David, this is the successful one. We'll read about it in a second. The next slide, David dressed in his priestly garb. This is important. He takes off, he's king. He takes off his kingly robes and sets them aside. So he's dressed in a priest ephod. That's it. And he's going to lead the ark. Now, he's not a priest himself. It's one of the places where God's like, you guys take things. You guys just decide you want it to be this way. I'm the one who decides the way it is. I'm God. You're not. And he let David do what he did, even though the scriptures were very clear about how the ark had to be treated and where it had to set and who could do all of this stuff. But David's, God's like, you're missing the point. This, this story is not about the ark and about the tabernacle. This story you're living is about my son, the seed of woman coming to redeem mankind. And I told you that right from the beginning. The whole purpose of this is so you will see Jesus when he comes. 
both figure literally and also in all of us, when he comes into your life, you will see him. That's the whole purpose of this. And I know there's minor purposes, so I'm being pretty emphatic. There are other things to look at in it, but this is the main purpose of it. And if we go to those other things and leave this, we're in danger of going the wrong way. So now David is is dancing, this picture of David dancing in front of the ark. Let's go to 2 Samuel 6, 12. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed. Obed-Edom, and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. city of David is Jerusalem, Mount Zion. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while all he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord or the presence of the Lord. Because anytime you see the ark or the mercy seat, you can substitute the presence of the Lord for it. Because that's what it is, was meant to be. The Lord was shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael's daughter, the da- Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in a place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. What? What about the tabernacle? The tabernacle was still set up in Gibeon, but it was empty because the Philistines had taken it, the ark. So the tabernacle is still there, the tent of meeting. But David's like, nah, we're not doing that. So he sets up a tent. And when he saw, and which in her heart that... As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter, watched him from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside a tent that David had pitched for it. David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He blesses all the people, something Jesus does to us. Then he gave each one a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went there, went to their homes when David returned home. So <clears throat> obviously the bread is representative of Christ, the bread of life. Dates are representative in the Bible of honesty and righteousness and are tied to the plant that they grow on. And the cake of raisins, this is interesting. It was for a journey. dried grapes. That's what raisins are. And so rather than wine, you have grapes, you have raisins, and you can journey with them. But they also have another meaning, which is the opposite of the wine. That place where you have left God. So David's given a reminder, bread of life, honesty, truth, righteousness, and don't forget, man, you people have a tendency to go back to other gods. And in this new world, none of you are going after other gods. Nobody's worshiping in this room's worshiping Malak or out there. Maybe you are, I don't know, Moloch or any of those other guys. But maybe you worship sports. Because you're worshiping anything you put in front of God. Anything in front of God, including family, is a form of worship. 
And if you are, it's an idol. Just something to think about. <clears throat> so, and that's the reason he gave them the raisins. They knew it. Wow. Yeah. So now that we got the presence of God here, don't go back. Stay here. Stay focused. David said, oh, oh, let, let me finish that other slide. <clears throat> when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Now, you got to put a, a very cynical, sarcastic, demeaning tone here. This isn't a happy, lilty tone. This is, oh, how the king of Israel is distinct. I can't do it. Himself going, going around half naked and full of the slave girls of his servant as a vulgar fellow would. You have disgraced yourself. First, you took off your kingly robes. And I'm married to you because you're the king, dude. With all its prestige and power and wealth. And you just took it off in front of a bunch of slave girls. You notice it doesn't ever say that anywhere before that. That's how Michael wants to present it. That's how she, she wants it to be as bad as possible for him. And David says to Michael... It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. Kind of a little shot right back at her. He's dead now because he could obey God and lost in battle and killed himself, committed suicide. Or anyone from his household. Not only is Saul not here, anybody else here either. He chose me instead. When he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael's daughter, Saul, had no children till the day she died, till her death. <clears throat> we, we, we have a song we sing. Of, uh, I don't know if this is the title, but I'll yet be more undignified. I love that song. So it's a song I feel I can dance to. There's a lot of songs I can't dance to. Oh, dancing in church. Huh? Huh? In the presence of the Lord, here's the king of all of Israel dancing like crazy. So much so he's embarrassing his wife. Can you dance in the house of God? Well, since the house of God is you, yes. This is not a house of God. This is a old racquetball court that has been modified to hold people and other things. This is not the house of God. You are the house of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you can be as vile as you want to be, as undignified as you want to be when you dance in front of God. Because he is God, you are not. He is worthy, and we are not. We, we, uh, sorry, I keep leaving. The, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm not supposed to do that. <clears throat> I apologize to those folks out there that are watching online for walking out of the view. Um, I'll try to stay home a little more. So David has, let's go to the tabernacle picture. There's, that's the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, a depiction of it, all solemn and holy and and only one guy got to go into the back third of the tent in the middle. And 
Only the priests got to go in the front two thirds and people could come into the other part to bring offerings. And there's all sorts of really cool stuff about that. But this is David's tent. Next slide. It's where the presence of God dwelt. And in fact, the sides weren't even put down. So not only could you go to the tent, you could look at the ark and the mercy seat and see the cloud over it that was the presence of God. Every single person in Israel. Nobody exempt. Nobody, you didn't have to be a priest. You didn't have to be anybody. You could go up on the hill in Zion and look at the presence of God in the ark and approach it. Jesus Christ. That's what he has done. All of us have unlimited, unhindered access. The only person hindering your access to Christ is you, nothing else. We have unhindered access to Christ now. That's what this is type and shadow of. We're doing away with the tabernacle. We're doing away with the separation. We're doing away with elitism. We're doing away with all of that. And we're bringing in a time when everybody can worship God. <clears throat> so. Those of you that don't know, there could be many of you nowadays, because we don't talk about that this much. I'm an ordained prophet. Hallelujah. You know what that means? It means my job, I have been sold into slavery to Christ to present to you and to his people myself as a gift who will always present you the view of Christ. That's my job. Sometimes I think I do a good job. Sometimes I don't. There is nothing else here, folks. Elders in the church. When I first started serving God, I was, I'm a pretty competitive person and aggressive. And I, you know, I wanted to get into the inner circle. So I started working at the church all the time and being coming one of those guys. And you know what? It was just work. So then I came down, oh, sorry, came down to the church, came down here to help start a church. And I was still just one of those guys. And then I became an elder thinking, oh, I'll get beyond the veil, beyond the curtain. And you know what it was? Just more work. Then I was ordained a prophet. And it was just more work. In fact, Paul makes it very clear. I'm poured out like a drink offering. That's it. My job is to serve you. So I want to tell you, there is no elitism in the kingdom of God. Ministers are not special. They are just dudes or dudettes. That's it. They're just people who love God, who have said, what do you want me to do, God, and are doing it. That's all. Nothing special. I don't even think they should have parking stalls. Oh, we don't. Cool. Um, you just got to park wherever you can or get here early. The quick, the easiest thing to do to get a good parking spot at church is get there early. I get one every time. In the word of the prophets, let's go to Acts 15, verse 15. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will rebuilt, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. So this is from Acts 15, but it's a quote from Amos 9.11, which is a prophecy of we are going to do away permanently with the tabernacle, going to do away permanently with the temple. In fact, when Jesus died, the temple, the veil separating the outer room of the temple with the inner room was ripped in two from top to bottom and was done away with. There is no more veil. We have unlimited access to Christ. 
for one purpose, one major purpose. There's all sorts of other purposes. God blesses us. We grow. We're blessed to be a blessing, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of them. But this is the main purpose. He has done all of this for this purpose, Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All of this has happened so that we can be the representative Christ of Christ on the earth, and we bear the presence of the Lord that is brought to the people. You do. I do. That's our job. And is founded in one thing. Love. Jesus, it says Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. Jesus sacrificed himself for us out of love. That's why we do it. Amen? Amen. Y'all have a good week. See if any of this grows. So I'll pray. We'll have prayer for people over here. Um, afterwards, if you need prayer, some folks will be over by the table over there. And I'll just pray that we all have a good week and God blesses us. And we all have an opportunity to let other people see the presence of God manifested through us. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this opportunity. And I thank you that you no longer dwell in a tabernacle. You dwell in us. That you no longer need the mercy seat. We are the mercy seat. We hold your presence. We present your presence. I thank you for that. And I pray we all walk in that as we go about our week this week. In Jesus' name, amen.